The following is a presentation of Cornerstone Bible Church in Virginia Beach. For more information on Cornerstone, as well as additional sermon downloads, please visit cbcvirginia.com. Turn your Bibles. We'll be in Genesis 1 today. We're coming back. And we talked, Stacy and I have been talking about this for a while. Can you guys hear me okay? I've never actually put it on my real lapel, so this is pretty cool. Um... We're going to be talking about the image of God today. We're going to start out in Genesis 1. We're going to be looking at, you've probably heard this term imago Dei before, or read it somewhere and you're like, imago Dei, what is that? This is talking about the image of God in Latin, that's all it is, and it's a term that's used in theology. We're talking about the image of God today. So turn your Bibles, we read chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, we'll start today. Um, and from here we're going to go, the great thing is we're going to go all over scripture, so just hang on. But uh, I'll have most of it here for you. Let's read. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father, speak to us from your word today. We praise you. You are the everlasting God. There is none like you. And we worship you today together, coming together for a person. Not for each other only. Not for support or finding out methods to live our lives better. Father, we join together today to worship you. We come together today to look at your word because we value it higher than any of our own thoughts. So God, today, we, together we praise you. You are awesome in your beauty and power. You're in love and perfect justice and grace and righteousness. We cannot understand you fully, but we praise you, God, and say thank you for giving us Jesus Christ. We confess that we are idolaters. We love ourselves so much. We love the things of the world. And Lord, we don't worship you. Forgive us, Father. We ask that you would grant us repentance and that we would believe the gospel. We would believe your word, that it would be something to us that is real, not a book of maxims and sayings and good things. Rather, Father, that your word would speak to us so that we might live in accordance with who you are. Break our spirits today, God, so that we may know you and follow you and represent you better to this world. We love you. I ask that you would help us to have ears to hear today, that your spirit would work in our lives as a community together so that we might understand you and worship you in a better way. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the image of God? It's going to be a a pretty clear message today. All I want to go over is what the image of God is to begin with. We want to start out and find out what do we mean by this phrase. Uh, There's a lot of different controversy over what could this actually mean. And a lot of guys, a lot of specifically good scholars, will argue back and forth whether it's a part of this or it's part of this. And we try to nail down what exactly is the image of God. There are three views, all right? And I'm going to start out. The first one is going to be called the substantive view, or it would have substance. What that means is, and you don't have to write this down, I'm going to go over these real quickly, 
And then what I have to say, you should probably write down, because it's good. Um, these guys have three views. The first one is substantive view. It has substance. We have some sort of substance that God has. Now, this could be psychologically. We can think and reason, and we hold this type of image because God does, and we are made that way. This could be physical. Our bodies are very much like God's. Um, this could be any, any of these types of things, spiritual, physical, psychological. The next one would be relational. So our first view is a substantive view. The next one would be a relational view, which simply means that we interact with each other. And when we do, and when we interact with God, we're showing a relationship. We are imaging God. Why? Well, God is one, right? Well, there's a little bit more to it than that. Especially as New Testament believers, we understand that God is three persons in one. And there's a community within the Godhead. Now, that may be a little bit foreign to our thinking, but it's, it's truth. As we read right here, so God created man in his own image. First, he says, let us make man in our image. He uses a plural, a first-person plural, we. So there's more than one within that Godhead. So that relationship that is going on in between the Godhead is shown when man interacts and has relationship with others, with God himself, any form of relationship that's happening. The third view would be a functional view. As you notice here, um, he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And then there's this big part about ruling and having dominion right inside this whole small bit on the image of God. It says, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is pretty important to the functional view. Let me explain why. When we carry out dominion, when we have rulership over the world around us, when we take care of the forests, when we take care of the hunting problems, we have too many of this or that, and we rule the earth, fishing, birds, all these different types of things, we are acting as image bearers, and we bear the image of God, who is the Lord of all. So that, I think that you can understand that. That is how we image or bear the image of God. These are three great views. They're very helpful for us. They, they've narrowed in on some things. The problem that we come to is, how can we say that only one of these is actually right? And what I'm going to propose today is that they're all actually right, and they're actually very helpful for understanding of what the image of God is in man, in me, in the, uh, the, the bum down the street. Humanity is made in the image of God. So let's go to our text here, um, and let, let's, let's learn about it. It starts to go back to our passage, understanding the author Moses, and what he's attempting to communicate through these words. God makes man in his image and his likeness. He doesn't further explain what he means by this. He doesn't give us a, like a list of ways that is like that. He doesn't say in, in the fact that he is relational. He doesn't say he's made in the image in the fact that he, is, he functions as God on earth. Now, he may, all those things may be a part of it, but he doesn't list those as necessarily the one thing that images God. So, it would be best for us to figure out what Moses means by these two words, image and likeness. So let me give you, if you are writing notes, I want you to get this definition. If not, just think about this. It's real easy. There's two parts to the definition. I had one that I kind of came up with and worked through, and then I read Wayne Grudem, and his was way better than mine. So I'm, and it's really clear, so I'm just going to go with that. So this is what the definition for likeness or image bearing is. is. Here it is. Uh, the fact that man is an image bearer, excuse me, is in the image of God means that man is, one, like God, and number two, he represents God. All right? So there's two parts here of what this image likeness is. 
Let me say it again. The fact that man is in the image of God means that he is like God and he represents God. I'm going to take two different sections of Scripture and show you how actually other writers use the same word and how we can understand how he is like God and how man is representative of God. First one, if you have your Bibles, let's, change, let's go over to Genesis chapter 5. This is the, only the third usage of this word so far. Um, this is great. I, I love this because it's... Uh, Stacy talked about last week the toledotes or the genealogies of generations that would come. This one is Adam's generation. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Through three excuse me, let me read it. This is the book of the genealogy of Adam. Along, along, the, along the way here, I want you to notice some language that mirrors and very much draws us back to what we just talked about in 1, 26 and 27. All right? So let's read it. In this, it. This is the book of genealogy of Adam. In the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. And Adam lived 130 years and begot a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. There's three things right away that we see in these three verses that draw us right back to 26 and 27. The first one is right at the beginning, in, in verse 1, he made him in the likeness of God. This is, this is exactly what we're, it's going back to exactly the same language. Verse 2, what is it there? Right at the beginning, he makes them... Male and female, which is at the end of verse 27. If you're flipping back over, verse 27 says, male and female, he created them. This is part of the image-bearing aspect. Very much important to it. So he's, he's bringing it up again. Verse 3, though, is the best. This is how we get our understanding. The other two are supporting that this is actually talking about the same thing. All right, Verse 3, though, says, and Adam lived 130 years, very interesting, uh, and begot a son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. The exact same language is used of a father-son relationship. We are, we are expl- it explains for us how he's using image the first time in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 1. So we see this image here is actually something of a father-son relationship. Um, we can understand it as what's going on here because everyone in this room is either a son or a daughter. Just to let everyone know, if you didn't know that, everyone is a son or daughter here. Now, and many of us would actually also be parents. They would, we would have fathered children or, or mothered children, um, and they bear our likeness, or I bear my dad's likeness. I was going to put a big picture up here. It's going to be a great picture because I have it's me and my dad standing, and I caught this huge catfish. I wanted to show off a little bit, but I, I couldn't quite have the time to do it. So you'll have to just believe me. It's like, it was like this big. So um, I caught this catfish. My dad and I got a picture together with this thing. And it is striking. The only difference between my dad and I, the look, is he got a few more wrinkles, and he doesn't have red hair. Otherwise, I'm built like exactly like him. You look at my daughter, Afton, and you look at my baby pictures, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Thankfully, someone knows that she's a girl because she looks exactly like Chris. She has no hair still. I don't know what her deal is. I've been using Rogaine, but nothing happens. Um, you understand the, father, the father-son, father-daughter, or mother-and-child relationship as far as image-bearing goes. 
We're talking about how they look like them, how they act like them. Um, the simplest illustration I have here, Isaac Tolliver and his boys. If you ever get a chance to look at Shiloh, he does the old chicken over the log stare. <laughs> that comes from his father. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we used to work at HSBC together, and he was in the cubicle next to me. And he, like, sees something happening way over there, and he's like, <laughs> like, Isaac, you're totally staring, and you're like a moron. <laughs> Poor Shiloh. He does the same thing. <laughs> The other thing is, if you watch Eli and, and, and uh, Isaac walk down the hall, you cannot help but know they are father and son. They both have the same goofy walk. They both have long torsos. And they both have a big old grin on their face. Like, they're either coming from something bad they did or going to it. So, you see this likeness between the father-son. They do similar things. It's the same thing for Adam and Seth. Uh, Seth is like him somehow. He either looks like him. Maybe he, uh, he uh, acts like him. He's very athletic, maybe. Maybe he has the same hair color. Maybe he talks like him. He has the same southern Eden drawl that Eve likes. You know, maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe he talks like him. I don't know. That's not the point, though. Let's think about what the point is. How a father and son are like one another, and how the son is made in the image of the father, in our relationships too, is the same way that we're understanding the image of God. We are made like our Father. It's so interesting that Jesus in the Gospels says, when you pray, pray like this. The first thing he says is what? Our Father. He talks about a familiar relationship. New Testament, I know we're, we're, we're getting too far ahead of myself, but that's very interesting to me that we are seeing the Father-Son relationship all over Scripture. This is not the first time. But this should inform us about the image of God and what it is like. Um, the, the same is for humanity in the image of God. We were created in his likeness as image bearers. Every way that we are like God is being part of the image and bearing his likeness. So when you, we, we see things and we say, man, I know that to be true of God, or I see my neighbor do something. I know that to be true of God. That is, that is the image being born in humanity. It's not one specific thing. I think we can be pretty, pretty understanding and pretty sure that that's what he's talking about. Um, so it's clear that man is made like God. How do I prove to you that he represents him? For that, uh, let's go. Now, this is still in the Pentateuch, still in Moses' writing. This is how Moses is using this. Let's go to Numbers chapter 33. Take your Bibles and go to Numbers 33. I know it seems a little obscure, but there's a reason. What I'm doing here is I'm using and understanding how the author actually uses a word so that we can shed light on how he uses it the first time if we don't really understand it too well. In Numbers 33, start in verse 50, and we're going to read through 52. It says this, Numbers 33, 50 through 52. And the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan at Jericho, saying, Speak to the Lord of Israel and say to them, excuse me, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you pass over the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. And this is where I want you to hone in, okay? And destroy all their figured stones and destroy all their metal images and demolish all their high places. Metal images, same word, same, it's a lamb, it's a 
short, small word in Hebrew. It's used exactly the same here as it is in Genesis 1.26 and 27. Same word. What is he using it as, though? Is he talking about a similarity to some people's God? I mean, it's similar? Eh, maybe. Something much more clear here. It's most likely some sort of a statue, some sort of a metal object or an image of the God. He's using it this way. This is, he can use the same word, image, as a representation. The people were having this representation of their God. Even clearer, let's go to 2 Kings 11. This is even clearer. I love this one. And there's many of these. I only choose, chose two. Um, as we go through, we see them further on, all the way into the New Testament, and we'll get to it later. But these are two just to help us understand how man represents God, and that's the image. 2 Kings 11, verse 17. Let's start there, and we'll just go through 18. That's it. 2 Kings eleven seventeen, And Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord and the king and people that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. Then all the people of the land went to the house of Baal and tore it down. His altars and his images, they broke in pieces. We're not talking about likenesses or similarities. We're talking about images, statues. We may be talking about a statue of Baal. We may be talking about some sort of a relic. It could be, it could be a painting on the wall. Something that is an image of that God. And they broke these in pieces. That's not, now, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, but all we're trying to see is how Moses is using this, or how the writer, actually, excuse me, of 2 Kings is writing this, and using image as something that represents something else. It wasn't their God. It was an idol of their God, but it represented the deity Baal. All right? So it's pretty clear, then, that we can understand from this that both we are like God in the image, and image bearing is also representing God. Now, who do we represent him to? The rest of humanity? Well, yeah. But what about to the earth, as we represent God as lords of the earth? Now, that sounds real like J.R.R. Tolkien should be writing, lords of the earth. It sounds goofy. But if you think about what God did, he makes, he makes light. He makes creation. We go through the six days. He creates animals and he creates all these different things and has to sprout this way and seeds after their kind and all these things. What does he do last? He says, and let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then tells them to have dominion over all these things. You are the kings of the earth, the queens of the earth. We are as humanity. We think that's like really proud, but no, it's actually true. It's the way that God made it to be. We are supposed to be this. That's the way we were created, as representatives. Um, so to restate the definition of God, of image of God, excuse me, or likeness, is the fact that man is in the image of God means that man is like God and that he represents God. Let's move on. In what sense, then, we said, okay, well, that's fine. Now I know any way that I'm like God or I see, that, I'm, that helps me understand the image of God. What specific ways are we like God? Here and now, today, what are we like, or all of humanity before us? What are we actually like God? In what ways are we actually like God? Stacy brought up three things last week that are really helpful for us here today. And he's going to continue to go back to them, so that's why I wanted to start with these three things. The first way that we are made in the image of God, specifically, would be called a spiritual capacity. We have spiritual capacity, just as God does. 
We are able to interact on a spiritual level. Um, we are made up of more than just a body. We are very different from animals and rocks. We are spiritual beings. Um, this is imaging God in himself. We go to John 4.24. God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We know that God is spirit. In this way, we're very much created like him. The second one is moral responsibility. We have and understand, we know what is right and wrong. We have a moral compass within us. Whether it's been distorted or not, we'll get to that in a second. We know what is right and wrong. And God sets the rules, and he will not act disaccordingly to his character. He will also operate within those rules. He knows right and wrong, does these things, and so as, so as do we. God exists as a moral being, deciding what is good and evil, and abiding by his character. This doesn't happen for animals, doesn't happen for trees, doesn't happen for the ocean, none of these things. They still abide by what he says, but they have no moral compass. They don't choose. Last one, what Stacy talked about is communal assistance, or a communal aspect to their living, to our living, day in, day out. We image God this way. We talked about this as being... When God says, let us, let us, first of all, make man in our image. So he makes them in his own image. Our, plural. There's a community within the, own, within the Godhead. The same is for us. He's created them. Remember this. In, this. in this section, he says, male and female, he created them. We know that Adam was created first and then Eve. But the way he describes it in 126 and 27 is very important to understand how he views the image of God. It is in plurality. It is not single. It is in plurality. So his plan from the beginning is to have Adam and Eve. It's not just to have Adam. It wasn't, whoops, yeah, I better make Eve for him. You know. This is very important to understand how we are in, we have a communal assistance. That's what, that's this word that Stacy used, so I think it's helpful for us. How else, though? I'm just going to list a whole bunch of stuff. And if we sat here today, I, I, we, could, we could go until 12 o'clock tonight just listing different things the way that we are made in the image of God. I'll just sum up a few things. One is that we can be holy. One is that we can be kind. We can be loving. We can even be righteous. We can do these things that are right. Crazy thing. So can the person down the street who has no, has no love for God, who is an atheist. They can be kind too. How? That doesn't make sense to us. They're not living as a result of an outflow of knowing Jesus Christ. How do they do that? Let you know, they are made in the image of God. Very much important for our understanding of how the world works around us. Still in the image of God. That's huge. It's not just us. So, um, we can be those things. Our physical bodies also represent God. God sees. We have eyeballs to see. Um, we, we encounter different places where God runs after his children. We understand running because our bodies work and we can walk and run and do these different things. Now, we understand that God is spirit, so we're not saying that God is a body, and he has a body. But he has made us in a way that represents him well. Does that make sense to us? Like that it's, that the body is a representation of what God does, the types of things he can do, so that he can describe himself in ways that we can understand it. This is bearing his image. Um, ultimately, get this one, we're immortal. We don't think of that because we think someone dies, they close their eyes, and we don't see him again. But they are, we are actually immortal. The Bible tells us, whether it's in heaven or hell, we are going to live forever, either in eternal torment or eternal joy with Jesus Christ forever. This is really important. The animals don't do that. The oceans don't do that. None of the created, created things will last forever. 
They don't have this immortality as living beings. Um, we have complex sets of emotions, complex sets of language. We can, we can have five different emotions work at the same time. You can watch your kid lose a baseball game and be so proud of him, be sad that they lost, and be excited about dinner. Um, you can actually have all those emotions at one time. It's, it's okay. It's not a conflict for us. This is way different than the, the world around us. We have complex sets of emotions and language. The fact that we can understand dialects and we can understand slangs and that we can understand different languages, this is totally different than any other place. We can think logically. All these different things, I'll wrap it up, help us to understand how we image God. And this is, I understand, very truncated. It's very small compared to what I could talk about, what we could talk about all day, and how we are made in the image of God. Um, Mankind is different than animals. I want to be clear. I understand that animals can show emotion. I understand. Some ladies even think that cats can talk, or at least show them their emotion. My point, though, is that that is to a far lesser degree than the way that we interact and bear the image of God. So let us be clear that we are much different than the rest of creation, both on an experiential level, at least for me, and also on a biblical level where we we were told we're different. We're made in the image of God. Um, we come to this problem, though. Now we understand who God is. We understand that he makes us in his, in his image. We understand that means that we are like him and that we represent him to the earth. But how can we actually say, how can you and I say that we are like God? Almost sounds blasphemous, doesn't it? To you, if you really think about it, knowing your sinful heart knowing how rebellious others are, the God-haters, how, how can that be true? How can we actually say that we're made in the image of God? We know there's a problem because even Paul tells us in chapter 5 of Romans, I have it written down, 5.12, that he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. We know that when a baby is born and comes into this church, they're born with a sin nature. They don't come out walking and leaping and praising God. They come out puking and puping and bothering mom. Like it's just, it's not actually, they're, the image of God doesn't mean they're perfect. In fact, they're very sinful. We see disobedience right away. We see tempers and anger. We see hatred and taking people's toys and all these different things. We know that that's true. How can this be properly bearing the image of God? The image has not been lost, though. It has, been, it has been distorted. Because of what Adam did in the garden, because of Eve, Adam and Eve's disobedience, eating of the fruit they were told not to, disobeying God, in their pride thinking that they knew more than God, they disobeyed, and the rest of humanity fell. And we are now all created, not with, not created, excuse me, but now all inherit the sin nature of Adam. For all time, we will. That's what we have for all this human time, life, lifetime here until we are with God. How then do we say that we're actually in the image of God? And more importantly, how do we ever get back then to being like God and imaging him properly and representing him to the world? I'll get to that in a little bit. How, do we, how can we prove, how can I prove to you that man is still in the image of God as well? Some will say we've lost the image of God completely. The story of Noah, go, let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 6. This is the best way to explain it. 
Genesis chapter 9, I'm sorry. Did I say 6? Excuse me, I'm wrong. Genesis chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 3 through 6. So chapter 9, 3 through 6. Let me read it. This is after, remember this is happening. Moses stepping off the boat. He's just been in there with a bunch of animals because God has destroyed the earth because of wickedness and rebellion against God. The effects of the fall have really gotten bad. People do whatever they want to. Wickedness is rampant. God is talking now to Noah and saying how this is, how this is going to work. Verse 3. Let's look at it. Genesis 9.3. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. For every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Now, clue, clue in here. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For, because, God made man in his own image. This hasn't changed. Nothing has changed. We are still made in the image of God. And he's so serious about it that he says, if someone were to kill someone else, that murderer needs to be put to death because they do not value the image of God. And there, it is a direct affront to the person of God to slay someone who images him. That's how serious this is. There's no specifics here about whether they're believers or unbelievers. This is, a, this is broad brush. Man, M-A-N, singular. I mean, what's talking about all of humanity. It's a representation of everyone. This isn't talking about a specific person. All of humanity bears the image of God. Animals are good for consumption. We're taught here. It's great. We can eat them for the first time in Genesis 9. Uh, but if you touch and kill a person, that person needs to be killed. This is very precious to, to God because it's in his image. Um, God speaks in general terms. I will require reckoning for a life of a man, just any man. This helps us understand how we can be made in God's image, but we're distorted. But it leaves us at this place now where we're like, okay, we, we image God. We, we bear the image of God. We're in his likeness. We're like him and we represent him somehow. But, but, but we're in this terrible spot. What do we do with this? This is the greatest part of the story. Because we know this is where the New Testament starts. The answer is in the manger. The answer lives a perfect life and dies on the cross. The answer allows us to be in Christ. It's Jesus Christ. How? How do we get to this? How am I going to talk? Let, let me explain. There is a person who perfectly images God. And he, God saves, excuse me, image of God. And saves us to become like himself. Being in Christ, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, transforms us into his image. Let's look at the first part. Do you believe me whether or not Jesus is the perfect image of God? Let me go to a couple different spots. Colossians 1.15. Stacy preached here. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image of God. We're talking about Jesus Christ here. Jesus Christ is the image of God. He is like the Genesis 1, Adam. In fact, actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 45, we call him, it is called, Paul calls him the last Adam. How cool is that? He is actually showing you how much like Jesus Christ is like Adam in that he represents perfect humanity. He is unlike anything else. Um, Jesus is the perfect image of God. Now, Adam fell. Jesus didn't. Jesus is the perfect Adam, if you will, the last Adam. Hebrews 1.3 you probably have heard this or at least know this. 
This is, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. This term is very similar to image. We're not, it's not the same one. It says exact imprint, which is very much, if you can explain, if you can help, if you can understand with me, the term that's used is used as a stamp to make coins. So this exact imprint, he is the exact image or imprint of God himself. Why is he different? Why doesn't he say he is God? He is, and it explains that he is God. Remember that Jesus is not like God in this way. Jesus is the God-man. He is fully God. He is fully man, which makes him, his person, be careful, his person different than God the Father and different from God the, Son, uh, the Spirit. So we're seeing a differentiation, and he is perfect. He is the last Adam who represents all. Clearly, Jesus is the perfect image of God, unlike us. So we see God's image perfectly displayed in Jesus, but how does this answer the question about us getting to be where Jesus is? Without Jesus' work on the cross, without his gift of life, without his righteous life, and making and bringing many sons to glory, we have no chance of ever returning to the image that we are once supposed to bear, and bearing his likeness the way that he intended from the beginning. Let's read Romans 8.29. Isaac read it this morning. I just, this is so good. So take your Bibles. I want you to see it. Romans 8.29. There's good news for us. God still intends for us to bear the image of God perfectly. He has intended to do so. Ephesians 1 tells us, from the beginning, before the foundations of the earth were laid, he predestined us to adoption as sons, to bring about the image of God in us. Romans 8.29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Get that again. Think about what I'm saying here, what, what, what I'm not saying, what Paul is saying about this. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. The spirit is the actor here in Romans 8. We find out that the spirit has planned and is carrying out his plan to conform us as bought ones in Christ to be conformed to be in the image of Jesus Christ himself. This is huge. That's what his, that's his goal in our sanctification, in our justification. We are being made in the image of God. Another one, 2 Corinthians 3.18. You don't have to turn there. If you want to, it's fine. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, glory of the Lord, are being, get this word, transformed into the same image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is transforming us into this same image of Jesus. This is exactly what he is doing in our salvation, in our justification, in our sanctification as we grow, as we become more like Jesus Christ through his work in us. 1 Corinthians 15, 45-49 is great. This is going to be a little bit of a story, all right? So stay with me. Verse 45-49 of 1 Corinthians 15. Thus it is written... The first man, Adam, became a living being, and the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Talking about Jesus as the last Adam. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. That's us, human beings. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Verse 49, just as we have borne 
the image of the man of dust, Adam, we shall also bear, bear the image of the man of heaven, Jesus Christ. Now this is sweet. This is a little bit more of an eschatological or end times kind of look at the end of our life and we are like Jesus when we die and with him, when he comes for us and we are fully complete. That's a, it's a little bit more that way, but we're seeing two different things, which is great. We're seeing that he is transforming us right now. We are being transformed into the image of the Son, Jesus, and we are also going to eventually be like him as he is. This gives us great hope. Um, we already know that the Spirit is presently transforming us, like we just talked about in 2 Corinthians 3.18. But one day we will perfectly bear the image of Jesus Christ. Clearly the Spirit of God is changing us into the image of God, and we will eventually transform us into the perfect image of God. So what, though? Um, what do we do with all this stuff that we've talked about? Now we've got to the end and we say, okay, we know the image of God is this and that, and what, what, what matters? What do you want to teach us or what, what's, what's important from Scripture here today? I want you to go with two takeaways. We're done here. I have two takeaways for you. One is this. First, I want us to know, understand, and believe what it means to be made in the image of God. I want you to know it. I want you to understand it. I want you to believe it. Scripture tells us that it's for, it's for a reason. I'll tell you why. There's going to be great ramifications for believing it or for not believing this. Sometimes we don't think about it because we don't know it, and therefore we don't do anything about it, and we don't act like it. So how can we do this? Let me do a brief flyby of all I've just said. So if you weren't paying attention to the whole rest of the message, no problem, you're going to get it right here. All right? We learn that the fact that man is the image of God means that man is like God, and he represents God. The Adam-Seth relationship, father-son relationship, is a good example for likeness. And the images as statues, all right, in numbers, remember that, that is very much helpful to, for us to understand how we are his representation on earth. We found out that when, in, in what sense we can actually see the image of God, the three things, spiritual capacity, moral responsibility, communal assistance. And then we talked about all those other things that were like him in our bodies, in our intellect, the way that we interact, so we understand that. Um, we learned that the image of God in man was distorted by the fall of Adam, but not lost. We are still made in the image of God. So are newborn babies. Um, every human being still bears the image of God, be it in an imperfect way. Lastly, there is a person who perfectly images God. And this is why we love Jesus Christ. Because without Jesus Christ coming, we have nothing. I hope you realize that. We are distorted fallen human beings that have no hope. So when we sing about Jesus and the work he did on the cross and bringing many sons to glory and adopting us and making us more like him, it should be sweet to us. Because if we understand that it's the gateway back to know, to know God, the way that it was intended to be from the beginning. He's creating a redeemed people that will perfectly bear his image. That's, that's our purpose, is to be like him to represent him on earth. Second thing. So I want you to understand that. Think about it. Talk about it. Believe it. If you believe it, this is the second point. We must conduct ourselves then, secondly, according to what we know about the image of God. Treat all human beings as image bearers. It's a simple application. If we believe that, that what Scripture says is truth, 
That means every race, every age, every disability type of a person, doesn't matter. They're made in the image of God and should be treated with great value. It's different from any other thing in the world. We, we're, we are, it is acceptable to kill a deer and to eat it. It is not acceptable to kill your neighbor and eat it. It is not. They're extremely valuable. Now, we, that's silly, and you laugh, of course. That's silly. But we do often end up treating people as though they're not human beings. Um, God's glory is reflected in so many different ways in the universe. We see a starry night. We see a sunset. We see a powerful ocean. We see um, the intricacies in biology. We say, man, there's got to be a God. There's, there's, there's no other explanation. None of these things even come close to the pinnacle of creation. Remember what that is. Us being made in the image of God himself. If that is true, we should highly value life. We should highly value each other as believers who are being more made into the image of God, but we also to the rest of the world. This doesn't stop right here in this room. This goes out to all of your coworkers, people that live down the street from you, the people you see hanging out on, as, as bums in the street. Genesis 9 tells us that this is very important. When we treat people as if they were less valuable because of their rage, race, age, or disability, we fail to understand the image of God. That means the elderly, the chronically ill, the mentally handicapped, the unborn, all these are bearers of the image of God. And therefore, they should be important to us. So as we go from here, let us understand and believe what we know to be true about what God has explained to himself, how we bear the image of God. And then act rightly. There's many other applications. This is the one that I wanted to bring to us today. Um, but, but we should act rightly on what we know. And it shouldn't stop here anyway. So let, let's pray. We'll continue from here. And uh, God bless it. Let's pray. God, you are great. Your plan is so much bigger than ours. And you see all things and you control all things. You're sovereign over creation. We praise you today for being the God who is perfect. And who's the Lord of all creation. We thank you so much for sending and giving us Jesus Christ as the gospel, the good news that we might know you again and that we might return then to the perfect image, which is Jesus Christ, the Son. Help us, Lord, to think these things through, to act as though they're true and to love you and to praise you and thank you for your goodness in Jesus Christ. We are brought back to the centrality of the gospel, the scriptures, and Jesus Christ. And are these things that are our foundation. Lord, help us to be about these things, that we might be known as people who love the scriptures, they love truth, and they love Jesus Christ. We love you and thank you for this time and bless our time together. In Jesus' name, amen.